Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer, one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare, genuine, no kidding, honest to goodness fiction author, bearded anxiety sufferer, and now, since the podcast started, actual dad face. Asterisk, I mean, since the podcast series originally started. My wife hasn't given birth to my knowledge during this exceedingly short intro. I think if that had slipped my attention, I'd be one of those deadbeat dads, wouldn't I? However, my uh, sleeping daughter, Suki, is in the next room, so at some stage during this recording she may cry out, uh, as, as she is wont to do during the evening hours. I'm recording late, which is why I'm going into this uh, slightly uh, deeper uh, pseudo-ASMR voice, but if Suki has a little cry, then I'm going to obviously have to wander off and and take care of her, which I'm sure is the way round you'd like my priorities to be. I know what you're thinking, Tim. Can't you just edit that bit out? Do you need to warn us about that in advance? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I will edit most of it out. Don't worry about that. But this is going to be one of those... Um, this is going to be one of the episodes where I don't do so much editing because it's just me chatting to you. Like a kind of... It's a diary episode a little bit and a little bit of a a little ramble, writing ramble episode, as I've started calling them, only just to flag up that it's this style of podcast. If you, if it's not your thing, if you want one of the more sort of tighter, focused, more like kind of like essay pieces, where I work on a theme or where I look at someone's first page, that's absolutely fine. Or one of our wonderful interviews with other authors, where you can hear a kind of range of views and how other people deal with aspects of the writing craft then I would really recommend you listen to the interview I did recently with Joe Dunthorne I would really recommend you listen to the one I did with uh, the author Nate Crowley I really enjoyed speaking to him it was a really really lovely experience doing that and I feel like I learned a lot from both of those so Joe Dunthorne and Nate Crowley if you go onto my onto the podcast list uh, at soundcloud forward slash Tim Clare, or just go onto the Death of a Thousand Cuts uh, page for on iTunes, then you can listen to either of those episodes, or indeed the two episodes I did recently, a little pair, um, one of which was the seven pillars of uh, line editing your novel, and one of which was slaying the three dragons of structure, kind of like macro and microcosmic versions of dealing with your novel and kind of editing and getting yourself in the space where you feel you can take it from wherever it is to making it better and I thought those would be a nice uh, companion pair of episodes to anyone working through the couch to 80k writing boot camp at the moment because that generates a lot of material and then you can get to a stage where you want to be able to do some uh, self-editing some feedback on your work when you want to be able to look at the structure and you want to be able to look at the sentences and improve both so it's it well it's worthwhile for anyone who's writing but particularly useful if that's where you're at, whether you're either trying to manage the kind of giant shape of your novel or the tiny shape of each sentence. Um, this is a podcast for writers. If you haven't listened before, welcome. It's lovely to hear from you. And it's also for those who are lingering on the fringes of the writer identity. If you're not quite sure, uh, you know, maybe perhaps you're shyly trying writing on to see if it fits and feels good you're very welcome here. And if you want to be a writer, you can be. There's no entrance exam, no board of accreditation. All you have to do is murder someone and use their blood to write a short scene that uses a church as a metaphor. Congratulations. Do that. 
you're a writer. But before you go uh, sharpening your murder knife, I feel it's only right to warn you that being a writer confers no special benefits. It's not an elevated status. It's neither a morally nor intellectually higher calling than almost any other pursuit with which you might occupy a portion of your finite mortal life. Some writers will try to convince you that writing is a calling, a compulsion, a very special something that you either have or you don't. If you don't wake at 5am rock hard at the thought of putting 26 letters in different orders alone in a room for the doubtful benefit of people most of whom you will never meet, you're not a writer, they'll say, or something like that. I'm here to tell you, fuck those guys. Look, you write all the time. We all do. You write emails, you write texts, you write reports, perhaps. Maybe you already write some stories, some story ideas, some poems, whatever. Writing isn't isn't intrinsically hard uh, for most of us. Uh, writing a cool novel is certainly an involved process. But so is baking a cake or blowing bubbles or building a sandcastle. And in the end, the stories we make are about as ephemeral as all those things, as joyous and ephemeral, we're going to pass away. Sorry to get super morbid on you this early, but our stories are going to fade and get folded back into the great ocean of culture. So you might as well make sure that if you do do it, if you do want to create stories, and of course read stories and enjoy the stories of others, it's important not to do it for an external validation. Nor for fame, both of which are fleeting and futile, and instead do it for love and maybe try to enjoy yourself while you're here on this planet. Uh, some of you may be doing the Couch to 80k boot camp as we speak. I just want to say, and I've said this to uh, in front of a couple of episodes, but this is, you know, this here be dragons. If you, I, I, I never really edit these episodes that are under the rubric of writing rambles, so it's going to be looser. It's just my chance to chat to you, and it's kind of like a little phone conversation with a with a drunk version of me. I've um I've been teetotal for five and a half years now, so I I do less of those uh, these days. But um, it's just a nice chance for I enjoy making these in this style. Um, but I just wanted to say, you know, thank you. So if you've written to me, uh talking about your experience of listening to the podcast or of going through the Couch to 80k writing bootcamp. Just want to say thanks. I've been really touched. It's an odd experience for me having this many people message me and send me emails. But I love it. It's 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 not an unpleasant one. It's extraordinarily validating and nice. And I dare say at some stage the the course will reach that critical mass where People start to get shirty with me and send me nasty emails telling me what a crap job I've done. I'm, you know, quite open to uh, a little bit of uh, constructive feedback. There's loads of things I could do better and I'm always open to learning. But I've been very touched by how kind you've been, how honest you've been. And, you know, a lot of the emails have had some real courage in being quite emotionally raw and people talking about the difficulties they've had with their creative practice and how they're pushing through that and I think the fact that anyone who's been hurt by writing and if you haven't had that experience it must sound a bit odd to talk about writing as if it's you know a, a, a bad relationship that you had in the past that made you scared to love but 
it's a it's a telling analogy that I think holds true in some aspects. This idea that you, some of us get burned by the ambitions or the dreams we have about our creativity, you know, and the things we try to achieve with it, and the pressures we put ourselves under while we're doing it. Some of us feel that we're not, you know, you may have had the experience of feeling like you're not allowed to write that it's for other people uh, that it's something that you have to be sort of born to that there's a kind of aristocracy of creativity and um i think it's a it's it can be a challenging experience to start writing to do a course like the one i've done especially over such a long period of time it's an eight week course right that's two months of your life where you're writing more or less every day which is going to give you some really funky dreams if you're doing these pretty intense little 10-minute bursts of writing most days. Or however long it takes you to finish the course, it doesn't really matter. And to discover that some of your beliefs about yourself were wrong, were self-limiting in an unnecessary way, to discover you can do a bit more than you thought you could... There's a kind of there's a kind of trauma associated with that I think. It's you realize sometimes there's a grief. There's a, sometimes there's a grieving process you need to go through because you realize there you've needlessly been punishing yourself and you've limited yourself in ways that weren't helpful and caused you suffering. Or maybe there's some regret that comes out of that. Out of this, you know, ostensibly positive experience of actually getting off your ass and writing. And then we, you know, and we use all this language about, oh my fucking word! I've got to tell you about on Twitter this morning. I got up and someone had, oh god, I'm going to start ranting. And I, I, I don't want to shame, uh, you know, the people responsible for. I think what was uh, what was intended as a a light-hearted flow chart, but there I saw on Twitter this morning someone had. Uh, posted a uh, should you be writing right now flow chart uh, which immediately branches into four different possibilities um, <laughs> which isn't how flow charts work but it has things like do you have a story started yes go write no go out and find an idea start writing and then another branch is is there someone better than you yes keep writing no, find someone better than you. Keep writing. You just finished a story? Go to bed. Wake up. Find a new idea. Keep writing. You are writing right now. Good. Don't stop. I mean, that is. I mean, if that sounded incoherent to you, it basically every the 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 the, the gimmick of the flowchart is every single uh, branch ends with. Go write. Start writing. Keep writing. Keep writing. Keep writing. Don't stop which is deeply unhealthy it, it's awful advice and it will it will result in your writing less i mean that that's the bottom line if you you know the the deal i think that um writers who have an unhealthy relationship with their workflow and with productivity the deal and any artist indeed this is you know when i was read when i've been reading art and fear one of the things it talks about is like this is true across all disciplines this compulsive productivity and this feeling that you don't won't exist if you're not producing i can guarantee you you your produ your production of product of art is not 
making you a more real person it's not you're not creating a soul for yourself or it's not it's not proof of your right to exist you're a human being you're intrinsically worthwhile and your life is meaningful on its own terms not because you do a good book god knows there's been enough people who've written successful critically acclaimed works if surely if we've learned anything over the past couple of years it's that people who produce successful great pieces of art can in other ways in their lives have really fucked up and not be terribly nice people and surely we've got to look at ways that we can more healthily value the multitude of ways people live their lives and surely the whole business of writing is about lifting up some of those different ways of being and lives that are unexamined and 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 finding value in them surely i just think you know this idea that you should and i've talked about this before but you look at the kind of like big writing podcasts that are out there at the moment and this is in no way a slam against the people who create them i think it's all of this and even this particular flowchart was meant it's meant to be tongue in cheek it's like come on kind of buck your ideas up stop being lazy stop procrastinating you know you'll feel better if you do some writing that i think is the tone it's aiming for but you think of like the big writing podcasts like Writing Excuses and Merlafty's I Should Be Writing. They all have a rueful acknowledgement, right, that writing is something that you wriggle out of and avoid and that writers should. You should be writing. You should turn up. And that guilt will just make you not write. And I think writers, you know, I'm not attacking anyone personally but i do think as writers and i include myself in this we need to stop being complicit in the normalization of unhealthy working practices especially in this industry where many of us are isolated you know i spend a lot of my time in a room alone i don't have any colleagues i don't have the you know i don't have the feather bed of sick pay if i get ill or i work myself i don't have the benefit of 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 knowing i've got a paycheck if my work doesn't get picked up and this idea that you just go, you've got to keep writing. You've got to turn up. The The bottom line is, even if you think you're making a kind of dark bargain that's going to produce more work, you go, well, I, but I am lazy. That's the thing. You go, but this might be true for other people, Tim, but I'm lazy. I know what I'm like. I know that if I'm kind to myself, I'm just going to slide into, you are just going to find me like a hippo wallowing in a waterhole, you are going to find me in a bathtub of Pringles six months later, having spent the entire time playing Nintendo Switch. I'm not going to get work done. And, I mean, that's not being kind to yourself for a start. That's just rampant neglect. But So people go, yeah, but so, okay, so I will neglect myself. So I need this... Uh, straight jacket of discipline but this isn't discipline it's just bullshit it's completely unachievable i should be writing i should be writing that mindset that so many writers and, and some successful writers maintain but it's just going to burn you out it's going to make you less able to enjoy your life and you don't want that I'd, i want you to write stories i want you to write brilliant stories that you're happy with that you can feel a kind of warmth coming from years down the line when you look back and go i made that that you feel so happy i want that for you i'm not telling you i'm not saying to you 
you have no right to go for this. So you must wind in your ambitions. You must make your ambitions small, you know, big ambitions and and sort of like the challenge that comes with suffering is for real writers. But you, my friend, we're going to put a little uh, cable woven blanket over your knees, sit you down in a bar chair and wheel you out onto the lawn and you can enjoy the sunlight as it bathes the patio in a creamy yellow glow and you can think about how it would be nice to write something and perhaps if you're feeling up to it then in the afternoon we can get you to do five minutes it's not like that and that is bullshit and that is partly i think to do with i mean it's not it's not just a a a sort of toxic masculinity thing although i think my embrace of it has been partly to do with that whole uh work ethic thing that i think um some men buy into uh, more easily than women who are able to recognize that they're intrinsically valuable and they're not going to get their validation from a job or output or external acclaim but at the same time i think men and women are both prone to this i think it, as writers as artists thinking that we have to be doing stuff all the time and feeling that terrible terrible guilt and it's just going to drain your energy and you're not going to get your writing done so what i'm saying is if you see any of the even as jokes even as jokes which i think most of them are when we talk about writing you know so many of these things are like going hoo hoo how many ways do you skive as a writer you naughty thing and and it's just it has that slight odium of people you know friends who have uh, dealt and survived eating disorders there or have had you know body issues that feeling of annoyance when someone's going oh i'm gonna have something to oh look i'm gonna have this cake is a bit naughty it's a joke right and it's not malevolent and it's it's not malign and it's not someone trying to be a dick uh but if you're sensitive to that kind of thing you just go can we stop using this like loaded language of certain foods being naughty and feeling guilty and having a cheat and just because some of those things can lead to and and contribute to a culture of unhealthy attitudes towards food and i think the same is true with writing so having got that out of the way should we move on to the topic of uh, offense and cultural appropriation i read this fucking article earlier this week and i would have uh, got on to this earlier and recorded it on the day but um my wife has been really ill she's okay she's recovering uh thank goodness uh, so don't you know i don't want you to worry on her behalf she's been a real trooper but she's she got she got really ill and was in quite a lot of pain with a stomach complaint and so i've been you know doing my best to look after her my best is not very good i'm not naturally uh I'm not naturally uh, geared towards being uh, nurturing and helpful. That's uh, more something that she has been teaching me how to do. But I've done my best and uh, she's been incredibly courageous and stoic. Uh, But that's just meant I've not had the time to record, uh, which is why I didn't get to respond to this uh, piece that I saw floating around. uh, Interview in the Evening Standard with Lionel Shriver. Uh, it opens with the line uh, Lionel Shriver is used to causing offence uh, which is you know it's going to be one of those and I think 
I'm not anyway I'll, I'll just explain give it a quick so if you don't know Lionel Shriver is an author um she was um she was she sort of came to uh prominence with the uh novel we need to talk about Kevin uh, and uh she's she's done several novels and he is you know reasonably successful I've not read anything by her ever but I have increasingly I've read her interviews and uh, I must admit they didn't make they didn't I didn't warm to her naturally through the interviews in any case she's her latest interview in the evening standard uh she talks about it, it's titled if writers can't offend then it's the end of books now of course arts editors uh, are, like all of us are in hock to the tyranny of click aggregation and so try to go with catchy striking engaging titles that pull people in and um, make the, and, and embrace controversy however i don't think it's a misrepresentation of what is in the interview uh lionel shriver has been she she um she came to particular controversy i don't you may remember this you may have been aware aware of it uh about a year and a half ago uh, she was at the brisbane writers festival she was asked to give a speech uh on she gave a speech on fiction and identity politics and she came out wearing a sombrero and led a provocation where basically she said it was it's okay for novelists to draw on cultures other than their own um it's not a theft of identity it's important it's the basis of you know all literally that kind of cultural exchange that she didn't mind other writers uh, using uh, characters from her heritage which i believe is american german or something like that and uh she thought it was you know that it was essentially s- silly but and also a dangerous trend uh she said uh, are we fiction writers to seek permission to use a character from another race or culture or to employ the vernacular of a group to which we don't belong um and and, and she got lots of people's backs up um there were many think pieces written in response and uh, and the festival eventually apologized for allowing her to speak um and that was that was kind of it and since then she's done a series of interviews where she kind of always says the same thing i didn't realize she always said the same thing until i tried to search for this uh interview later on on just before i started recording this because i was like okay so i'll find Lionel Shriver, uh, cultural appropriation, and she's just been saying this all the time for the last few years. So it turns out that this one, although it caused a bit of uh, a kerfuffle earlier this week, isn't the first time she's she's been banging this drum for a while. So the you know, so a, a quote from her in the interview is um, after the Brisbane Writers Festival thing. She says, "So now, of course, my agent said." After you stuck your neck out on this cultural appropriation nonsense, anything you write is going to be heavily scrutinised. And if I submit this story to a magazine and they turn it down, we won't know whether it's because you had the gall to include a black character. Uh, So she says she's been now... She's basically saying now she's encouraged to not include characters of different races apart from, you know, sort of white, uh, waspish uh, characters. 
uh, and she believes that it's it's stifling creativity and imagination. She says it introduces a sense of self-consciousness. White writers in particular are now anxious about including characters from different backgrounds and races. If you do make a character, say, black, they're going to be scrutinised. They can't adhere to any stereotype. That's not so bad, actually. But we don't need the pressures of identity politics to get rid of stereotypes. We just need good literary criticism and original sensibilities. This sense that someone's looking over my shoulder when I'm writing is the worst thing that can happen. Um... And she says, yeah, so she goes on, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, She does go in to say, to start kind of laying some of the blame for this in Muslim communities. Uh, She says, we're moving in the direction of enshrining the right to not be offended, which is the end of liberty and certainly the end of good books. And um, she is now... And then she starts getting on to gender identity and then I started to get a bit angry. So I'm not, I don't really want to attack her as a person. I, I, I think it's sad that a lot of arts journalism gets ignored and we just start talking about people who annoy us. I think call out culture and outrage culture could be more compassionate and kind. I think sometimes it catches a lot of people in the crossfire and alienates people and I don't want to be part of that. Also, I'm about to talk about cultural appropriation and causing offence and I am conscious of the fact that I am a a white, uh, cis male, middle class person and uh, you may not be particularly interested in my... A contribution to the debate that's absolutely fine you've got the right to not be interested and you've also got the right to be slightly interested and then listen to it and think i'm talking nonsense and uh, that my opinion's ill-considered and you got the right to reply that's absolutely fine by choosing to record it i i, I i'm aware that I, I it's not this this isn't a particularly um final take on it uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of not wading into the debate. I'm doing it on my own podcast, and I think that's fine. If people are annoyed by what I have to say, then you know, then they've got the right to call me out on it. That's fine. Uh, I will face the music. Um, so I, I, don't, I just don't think my opinion is particularly controversial. So, but I'm, the reason I'm bringing it up is because it just. It, it coincided with a second trend that you might have seen on Twitter this week where people started talking about uh, men's ability to write women and a series of... And then this hashtag, uh, write yourself... Uh, I can't remember what it was exactly, but write yourself like a male author would describe you. And lots of women were writing themselves with this kind of standard male gaze of this this kind of like sexualized. Uh, view of women because you know various people had there was a particular example on twitter of someone who had a guy who claimed he was brilliant at writing women and uh, the examples in that thread were a character who was constantly thinking about her own physique her breasts and how other people saw her and how other men must be attracted to her and it was it was pretty cringy so I just wanted, I'm very aware that lots of writers I speak to, lots of authors who haven't been published yet and are working on work, have this quiet anxiety in the back of their mind. Am I allowed to write this? Am I writing something that's offensive? How do I know if I've written something 
dreadful? How do I know if I've written something dreadfully sexist? How do I know if I've written this? And it extends into things like sex scenes as well. Have I written this sex scene just badly? Is it going to be cringy? I think, you know, make writing something and putting out a piece of art makes you vulnerable. It makes you very vulnerable. And I'm sure that's true of Lionel Shriver as well. As, as much as she would want to, you know, she tries to position herself as being this uh, tough and uh, strident uh, countercultural critic who will not be cowed by the forces of political correctness, I suspect that deep down she feels as vulnerable as any of us about putting out work and having it judged and reviewed and having people make comments and then and deduce you know um, deduce uh, deduce the quality of her character from the uh, work that she produces I'm, I'm sure that creates vulnerability as well and so what I want to talk about is I just I just want to go over my feelings on it to get a conversation started so you can have a little bit of a think when it uh, how this affects you when it comes to your writing because you can decide not to think about it, but you will still be moving into an environment where people care about this stuff. And I don't think that care they're caring about it is going to go away either. So you can either decide to engage with it in a conscious way or you can sort of duck and hope that hope that it doesn't affect you. But I think that is an ideological position in itself. So we might as well uh, have a little think about it. So first question can writers write about people other than themselves and specifically because that is that's very broad in the answer to that is obviously yes so to to refine it and make it less of a straw man can uh people write about other cultures or other genders or other sexualities or other uh socioeconomic classes uh the, to themselves um, do they have the right? I think that's a, a fair summation of the general debate. And to answer that question, we have to break down the terms a little bit. So the first thing I want to say is, what do we mean by right? Do we mean the legal right? Because I, I hear, you know, the, who has the right to tell what story? I hear that term used a lot. And we don't actually... I don't want to get into sort of piddling bun fights over semantics, but it is important to define what you mean by a right, because I think a lot of people use that um, various sort of like synonymously for words that are not the same thing. Who has the right to tell this story? Well, who has the legal right? Do you have the legal right to tell a story of uh, someone who doesn't have the same ethnicity as you? Yes, absolutely. No question at all. You have the legal right to write a story in any uh, gender, uh, sexuality, uh, class, race, nationality, religion, any of those things. You have the legal right to write that story. There are certain in different countries. There are you know, obviously in some countries you can't write certain political stories. In some countries you can't write you know, obscenity laws will block you from writing certain things. Uh, your main restriction in lots of cases is one of libel so you can't necessarily write the story of a real named person and uh, put a slant on it if it's seen to be defamatory so your right your legal right is curtailed if you are saying you are representing one specific um, member of that community or even your own community right like if i'm uh, uh i'm a white 
male if i want to write a story about jeffrey archer say although i suppose i'm middle class and he's as lord archer which is which i as much as i think he's a twat he's a cool name right it does make him sound like a like a boss character in a video game but if i want to write about jeffrey archer and i wanted to write a story in which um i don't know it's sort of social realism story in which he goes to a council estate and kidnaps young children from there and forces them to work down his um down his cheese mine in western supermare and and i wrote at the beginning this is a true story this isn't fiction uh you know he might he's certainly got the resources that he might try and he, he might try and sue me for libel if it was you know able to say this is defamatory and it's presented as fact and so that's you know that is the legal ramification but do you have the legal right to write about what you want yes the next question is do you have the moral right to do so and obviously this is where it this is the real kind of meat and potatoes of the whole debate and this is where it gets murkier because of course i my my understanding of the sort of broad thrust of the argument on the kind of progressive left is that uh that different uh groups uh and i actually don't think this is controversial at all have a different power within society so kind of like white middle class males are kind of like a historically dominant group who've had all sorts of privileges whereas being a member of a marginalized group like uh being black or trans or a woman or men or mentally ill and of course i'm not suggesting for a second that there is parity between those groups or they represent the same kind of marginalization at all but you know those are different ways that you could slice it or working class any of those things they that they that we've historically and still do we we elevate and promote and respect more uh, white middle class male voices white middle class straight cis male voices over all others and so there's a, a power imbalance and you've got to ask where is the flow, power flowing from and to. So if, you know, like, for example, when Moby released his album where he, um, I can't re- remember exactly, but didn't he sampled lots of songs from uh, sort of the American South and from lots of uh, black communities, he sampled lots of folk songs and then he turned them into is sort of bland uh, dance tunes right and that was viewed by many people as cultural appropriation because what he did is he went into those communities he took their songs and then he just remixed them and he made he a uh, a white dude made a load of money off it right so that's like is that cultural appropriation because he took it from these other groups and they didn't get anything i don't i don't know whether he ended up giving people a bunch of money in the end uh so don't at me about that I, it was just an example off the top of my head so the question is like but you're not going to be doing that right like you're not uh moby but i guess then the, the for example uh jk rowling had a 
wrote a piece of sort of Harry Potter lore in which she talked about the growth of magic in uh, Native American. I, I'm, I'm never quite sure whether the preferred nomenclature at the moment is uh, Native American or American Indian, but in any case, within various uh, tribes in uh, the original indigenous people of America, um, the growth and development of magic within those. And people accused her of that well of that of being cultural appropriation because it was taking a culture that wasn't hers and that she didn't seem she'd done a great deal of research on and um overwriting their history with her own and not treating their own beliefs about uh, magic and uh, how that intersects with their culture with any obvious uh, reverence or respect and 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 so that's another example right because this is a one of one of the richest authors in the world taking and using another culture as inspiration for a bit of their story and then uh not giving them any money and maybe getting it wrong so what's going on now i want to unpick this a little bit and of course like i just want to say now i realize you can go online and google cultural appropriation and read some incredibly informed takes on the subject so i am not suggesting that me kind of like wading through this in this slightly kind of like hand-wringy way is your is your should be that your last word on the subject absolutely not but I just want to talk about how I feel about it, right? And I think it's just, I should just, it, it's fine for me to have an opinion on it. Sorry, I can feel myself. Can you feel how, I, I, I'm I'm scared I'm going to get it wrong. And I think that speaks to the kind of whole atmosphere uh, around it, that there's, you know, Lionel Shriver talks about, oh no, like uh, what white authors are anxious about. It. This is uh, This is the bit that really got me. Where I just thought, come on, is where she said it introduces a sense of self-consciousness. White writers in particular are now anxious about including characters from different backgrounds and races. This sense that someone's looking over my shoulder when I'm writing is the worst thing that can happen. No, it's fucking not, Lionel Shriver. It's really what you're doing is you're having you. That's called giving a shit, right? That's that's a, a sense of personal responsibility that's an understanding that your voice has power right that, this is the bottom line is is you have an audience a big audience and your voice is promoted over other people's voices and readers you know the demographic skews white middle class and female for reading in this country and in america and they are consciously choosing you over writers that have non-Caucasian sounding names, right? You have an advantage over all those people. I'm sure you've worked hard. I'm sure you've fought for your craft. And I think it must be, you know, it's probably galling um, when a lot of white middle class men have even more uh, of a platform than you. For you to feel like you're being attacked from both both sides, one on this kind of like in this still kind of like in, in institutionalized, enculturated misogyny that you've had to face that mean that uh, female writers are not taken as seriously, particularly sort of literary female writers like yourself. 
but at the same time there's this other there's this other group that you're promoted over right and if you're going to write people have like i've people have read your work and said that your black characters are are racist that you fall into stereotype and that you have a hispanic president character in one of your books that multiple people are, you know, I've read have said they found it to be a racist stereotype. Are you should be looking over your shoulder when you write and thinking, what is the impact of this? Am I getting this right? You should give a shit. You should self consciousness is that the opposite of self consciousness is just a blithe, drunken. Uh, it does nothing I, you know that's the opposite of being self this is what i used to do when i was fucking drinking all the time was i was self-conscious and anxious so i'd drink and i would not give a shit what i did and i acted like sometimes i acted very joyously but a lot of the time i acted like a selfish arsehole and i didn't care how i made other people feel around me and now i'm more self-conscious and i'm glad i am doesn't make me a bad person doesn't mean i should be punished doesn't mean i'm 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 wicked for having made those mistakes but that self-conscious that little seatbelt around the soul is important and that's called growth and you should feel that way and particularly if you're white particularly if you're straight particularly if you're cisgendered particularly if you're middle class we have corralled a very cosy little industry around us and we have stacked it to be inviting and helpful and useful to people like us and we are I'm going to just you like like fuck you. We don't have a monopoly on stories. That should be self-evident. That should be self-evident. But it's not. And we've created an industry that is just that repels so much talent because it's almost entirely staffed by upper middle class white people and the industry is starting slowly to get a handle on that thanks to the hard work of people who've been banging at the gates for years and and i think that the work is endless because people will push you know there's pushback against it changes get rolled back we introduce diversity and then this myth of people of white authors having it worse off of you know of you know this i this constant feeling that that that, that that writers you know black writers have now got initiatives for them so that means that they're getting special treatment all this it all this silly nonsense it needs to it needs to stop and we need to fight for letting all these stories and actually using the talent that's out there and appreciating it and welcoming it in and i un, you know i think you know lionel shriver the most the kindest interpretation of 
And I, the reason I bring it up, like, it's not just to have a go at her. But the reason I bring it up is I think it's important because I think lots of people feel the way she does. I, think, I don't think it'd be worth discussing for a second if it was it was just her sort of sounding off doing a kind of t- Katie Hopkins type of thing and, and saying, this is what I think, blah, 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 blah. I, I, I think it's an important debate to have. And I think it's an important debate for people to be able to ask questions about without fear of just being sort of battered down by this kind of welter of people shouting at them, telling them that they're evil. But I don't think that very often happens. I think that's more an imagined response than what actually goes on. Uh, that's the thing. That's the thing. Is people go, well, I'll get criticised for doing it. Well, have you? Uh, how many times has that actually happened? And, you know, how have you engaged with it? And have you read about it before you start coming out with your objections? Um, that's what That's what I'd say. And, and is there a context to that anger? Is there a context to that anger, which is like people being um, extra, extra judicially murdered on the by police on the streets of america is there a context to that anger which is uh trans people having their identities in the press every day uh questioned and belittled and mocked and teens committing suicide uh or attempting it because and, and just not you know and what 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 is this fucking this, is there a context to, is there a context to writers, to women being angry about the the smug chauvinism of the literary fiction canon and how female writers have just have have been taught less, have been respected less within in academia, have been discussed less, have won far fewer prizes not because they didn't write great books but because historically the prize committees have been skewed in like shockingly towards male writers to male white writers is is there a surprise should you be surprised that people are angry when far right-wing groups have attempted to uh, take over the ballot of prizes like the Hugo Awards and promote, you know, people who are using racial slurs to this to describe other authors on the ballot. It's you know that's the context, and it's it does suck if you are just genuinely going. I don't quite understand why can't we write about why can't I write about um a kid growing up in Nigeria? Why can't I write this story of a a Japanese girl? And people get angry with you. It it does suck because those are really those are important questions, and it's great that you're asking them. But there's just a context, isn't there? And the internet's not always the place for these things to, to be discussed. And people are angry because they've been putting up with a, a lot of shit for a long time. And I'm not the first person to say this, and you should be sort of reading about those things themselves but this is my podcast and i've got to i feel like i would be remiss if i wasn't talking about this really important element of creative writing and how we do it it's a part of it's part of craft it's part of craft creating uh, realistic humans with empathy with love uh and and casting them in stories so i haven't i've kind of danced around a lot of the subject which is like is it okay to write if you are listening and 
Yeah, so, I, well, partly, so you've answered part of the question, which is, is it okay if you're listening and you are from... Ah, but then it splits down complicated, doesn't it? Because then it's like, well, okay, so I'm listening to the podcast and I'm a blackmail writer. Can I write a gay female protagonist who's white? Well, then it's like, oh, well, you know, then the kind of theory, this is the whole thing about intersectionality, then the theory becomes tricky because often different groups are you know how do you weigh different marginalizations and you know someone from one group can can still have um, sort of shitty beliefs about another group are you you know then it gets it gets complicated is are we saying that you can only write about people exactly does everything have to be narrow semi-autobiographical work is that what you know what's going on i think it's and i think it's important and it's interesting it's worth us having a think about it do white cis male middle class writers just need to take a step back and not write books to let other people to let other types of writer flow in but then it's like do those other types of writers do they have to just should they be writing in their own quote i mean i'm using heavy quote marks around this in their own voices you know about their people or are they allowed to write about whoever they like and it's just white male writers now i think the answer is the the, the answer is certainly and different people have different opinions on this but that is certainly less problematic for someone from a quote-unquote marginalized group to write about to write characters in the in the in, in unmarginalized groups so it's less problematic for a woman to write a man for example it because the power is flowing is is, in, is inherent in that dominant group and if you want to if you write critical versions of them that's fine because you're kind of punching up so that's the broad that that would be the broad statement about it but i you know i want to talk about it in terms of who you know, whoever you are and whatever background you come to, I'm sure that you care about these things and you just want to write a really good book that connects with as many people as possible. So in that case, what are you and aren't you allowed to write about? Well, the answer, I'd take you back to our the conversation earlier about, it wasn't a conversation, it was just me talking at you, the, the, what I was talking about earlier with rights. You have the right, in terms of the legal right, you have the right to write whatever the fuck you want. Do you have the moral right to write about whatever the fuck you want? I think morals is a weird it's a it's just it's it's like a weird metric to add to this stage in the process. My personal feeling is you can when you're writing in your journal, when you're working on work, you can write whatever the fuck you want. You can write whatever you like because it doesn't affect anyone at that stage. If you write something in your journal, if you write something on your computer, if you tap out 5,000 words and it turns out you've fallen into some awful racist traps and you've written this badly researched piece, you didn't do it with malice. You were just imagining a character and you kind of just guessed what you thought, uh, let's say, mainland southern China was like you know it's in a chinese village and you've kind of gone for like paddy fields and 
there's some you know poverty and they're a big developer and uh the, the then there's an old like wise grandma kind of trope goes into it and and you're not chinese yourself yeah like probably that story falls into some problematic tropes probably it's a bit hack probably if people said i think some of this strays into racism or certainly orientalism yeah like maybe they'd be right it doesn't make it doesn't make you deeply racist it doesn't mean that you're hurting anyone by having a go at that story and then going and going okay so i just came out of this in a writing session can i go and research it now why do i want to write about these people is it just because i watch the thing on tv is it because i've got this sort of like romanticized view of china you you can have you can you can experiment completely safely and i think without moral hazard in your own writing journals in your own work i think that's fine and it's no one's fucking business what you do there and I don't think you're a bad person for having a go at it. I'd always encourage research, but you don't always know what you're going to write until you start writing the story. So, of course, you're going to make mistakes, right? Uh, and I think that's I think that's fine. And if we want, you know, and I, th- I think... I, I'm going to get into a slight... I mean, so I'll give you a, a really sort of, like, glib analogy. I'm a gamer and a nerd. We're not an oppressed group, although certainly nerds have been sort of mocked for years but it's in no way comparable to any of the other marginalized groups i'm talking about however i sort of sometimes get like a sense of what it must be like to see that the dominant writing group of literary fiction is non-nerds and whenever i've seen in literary fiction somebody playing a video game it is always done badly it is always described in such a way that you can tell the author has never played a video game or has played maybe like Pac-Man or Super Mario Brothers once. But the number of like glaring errors that anyone who get who, who games would immediately spot and go, well, that's not that's not in that game. What do you mean? You can't just have a character say, oh, he's playing Zelda and he was going collecting the uh, six purple crystals. And you're like, there is no six purple crystals on Zelda. What the fuck are you talking about? I even got angry watching the movie Scott Pilgrim because he was playing on a Game Boy Advance and yet the soundtrack to Zelda that he was playing was clearly from the SNES. This is not important and it doesn't matter. And no one's suffering because of, because of the wrong soundtrack being disseminated in the world, right? But I knew that this movie was not being made, that that bit of the movie was had not been created by a nerd who cared. And I thought, and, you know, it's much worse in literary fiction where you just read stuff and it's just bollocks. It just doesn't bear any relation to my experience as a gamer or a nerd at all, right? None of these things I think particularly matter, except that you feel like, why does this person get to write about this and not me? I could have told you that if you'd got me to read it and you feel shut out because you go, okay, so you, I, the, what I'm, my understanding of this, I'm completely, I'm not part of your world. And my experiences and this person you're writing about are not part of your world. You're using them as a tool. And they immediately become dead to me. They don't, it doesn't feel real. I lose my whole sense of the reality of your world uh, when I hit these 
bits where you haven't done your you you fucking research uh, whole sections of your world perfectly and then you come to this and you just don't care you just guessed you could have gone on wikipedia to find that out and you haven't um and you know i'm not i'm just using that as a silly analogy to say like imagine then that you were and you were a group that daily in the press you know you're you, that people are like threatening your that you have it your legal right to exist or you're being threatened with violence online and then you go to read a book and it's very clear that people from your group are when they appear as characters are just used as stand-ins as ciphers and it's clear that this person does not understand your culture at all clearly wouldn't doesn't have any friends who are able to read it and go from that culture and go uh, th- what what is it what is this person saying why why do they don't sound what is how where did he get this from and that's the thing that to me is in, is important because you're losing readers and if you don't care that you're losing readers from that from that group that you're writing about you don't give a shit that they're going to be knocked out because they'll go well i don't i know this is not the way it is then you're saying well i'm only writing for white people i'm only writing for straight people i'm only writing for men that's the thing that's the thing with this thing this week where we had these uh, we had women doing some really good parodies of men writing women if you write a female character and you're a man and she's constantly uh, admiring her breasts in the mirror uh, and thinking about how hot she is and how and kind of like how, and, and there are people who are, are kind of like comfortable in their own bodies there are women don't get me wrong there are women who are comfortable in their own bodies who like sometimes look in a mirror and go oh, i look fit who check themselves out i check myself out in a shop window every now and then and think i look fit right like you, you might do it as well occasionally i hope you do you're you know you're lovely right you should feel you know enjoy your this human form that we temporarily uh, inhabit right but if you write something where you, your w- woman is just a cipher for your own feelings about wanting to bone them you're just going. Oh, I don't care about. I don't care about female readers reading this. I don't give a shit. No, I, I know it's going to knock. It's going to completely destroy the the willing suspension of disbelief of all female readers. So you, I'm saying, so if you if you don't care, you're saying I'm only writing for men, and that is the problem. That is the for me anyway. That is my problem with it. That's bullshit. You're going. Actually, the only people who are allowed to care about this are straight white men that's it those are the only readers i care about i'm writing for them anyone else can fucking lump it you can i mean you can turn up you can pay your ticket price and sit here but this is not for you and of course every book picks an audience every book you know is catering to a certain audience you know science fiction and fantasy you're saying if you don't like the fact that a ghost might appear or there might be like a three-headed uh gibbon spacecraft pilot this is not for you you can say well tim why is it why is that any different well because it's not selecting by race or gender and because people who don't like three-headed gibbon space pilots uh, one of the heads is uh is a a, a, a cocky uh, a dead eye and another of them is a uh, sort of like 
a nitpicking uh, nerd, and then the third one is a a rakish bon vivant and uh, lover. See, that's cool to me. Some people go, Tim, that's bollocks. I'd never read a story about that. But like people who think that's bollocks have not historically been oppressed. I mean, perhaps they should have been. No, that's not funny. T- but like, it, it's that. That's the thing. That's the huge difference. And I know you probably get this. And that, and and I realise to some people, everything I've been saying is the most. I'm not suggesting that any of these thoughts are particularly novel. But I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to. For those of you who haven't thought about it or have felt deep anxiety about it, but haven't felt able to ask about it or have been unsure, I hope that this is sort of shaking loose some thoughts and sort of motivating you to go and have a read with these things in mind I, I think it's fine for you to write about whoever you want as long as you are prepared for for criticism you've got to accept that when you put something out there it's 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 oh people are allowed to criticize it and if you do all your research and if you do a really 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 good job some people might still say you don't I don't feel like you have the right to write this and they have the right to have that opinion and you have to decide whether you're upsetting those people however many it is uh if that feels to you okay or if you consider that a acceptable collateral damage if you're if it's more important to you to get the story out than it is to not hurt those people's feelings and i think at some stage you can you're allowed to make that decision i don't think it makes you an asshole to i think every author does that to a certain extent uh, with different groups but it just depends whether you're like going well i know i'm going to put this out and the powers that be you know like the government the prime minister might read this and see this kind of searing critique you know the 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 like wall street bankers might read this and see this searing critique of greed and and, and feel put out and offended by it offending that group is very different to going well i think if i i think if people from the sikh community read this uh then they would be offended because you know, because I portray them as X, Y, and Z. That's a, those those two are like that's very different. That is that is that is different. Of course, there are Sikh bankers on, on Wall Street. I'm sure, but like, um, I'm not. I don't know. I mean, sure, I'm sure. I'm sure. Surely, I don't, don't see. And this is why I wouldn't write that story about either group, right? Without doing, because I'm immediately revealing my complete ignorance, and my complete ignorance, and. If and I would immediately be exposed, and I think like the thing is, we when we did stereotypes are obviously I, I don't there's few people who would see like stereotypes in fiction as being like a sign of poor craft and being bad, unless you're writing you know, sort of very broad kind of like children's book, and even then you want to avoid like racial stereotypes. It's just like you can have a stereotype like the evil robot overlord, right? That's fine. That's not a marginalized group. There's not evil robot overlords in the world who will, uh, I hope they're not, um, that will be offended. So, you know, there are, of course, there are different groups of people. We accept that stereotypes are bad, but I think people are just not conscious. It's harder to be conscious of stereotypes if you aren't used to reading about a certain characters from certain backgrounds if you're not used to read if you don't know if you haven't got friends from that background and and there, there are areas of the of, of life and the world and cultures that you just cannot know like or you cannot 
be part of. Like, I wrote my first novel's historical fiction, right? It's written in 1935. Now, I've met people who were alive in 1935. I've chatted to some people who were the same age as Delphine, the protagonist, in 1935. I've met a very nice woman from the uh, the WI who would have been the same age. That would have been uh, 12 stroke 13 in 1935. And, and she enjoyed the book. I'm not saying that to go, so I did it really well. I'm sure I got some things wrong. But um, the other thing is people from 1935 aren't, aren't a historic... Well, certainly white British people in 1935 aren't a historically uh, discriminated against group. So even though I wasn't talking about my own background and culture, I don't know. And I did my research. I read stacks and stacks and stacks of books. I read so much. I was obsessive to the point that I think I went a bit over the top. See, you are allowed to write about whatever you like. It's just that the moral hazard of getting it wrong with, say, a pirate and writing a pirate story and having a pirate go, ha ha, my hearties, is not going to impact the lives of like a kid pirate going to school whose friends have all read that book, who the ideas of pirates have kind of like soaked down through our culture. You know, it's not going to it's not going to affect the like the the life of a a pirate who it just wants to go to the shop to get a pint of milk without people going, Where's your parrot? Where ha ha say R Where's your galleon? Like there there aren't pirates walking our street well if they are they're you know they they are not showing themselves but it's that doesn't making mistakes about the historic historicity historic the past truth of pirates it doesn't really doesn't really matter because i like to say i love pirates in case i'm going to get letters i know about slagging off pirates but it doesn't matter so much but it would be, it's cool to get. I would love to read a historically accurate novel about pirates. I would love to read that. It would be wicked. It would break all those stereotypes. There's still reasons why overcoming stereotypes is a good thing in any case. But it doesn't have the same impact as fucking Lionel Shriver writing about, talking about why she thinks that like Muslim communities are the source of... Uh, the, uh, the source of, of 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 the growth of political correctness and they're stifling books right that's not that is that's that's not she the, she says this she says combined with the threat of terrorism everybody's increasingly afraid afraid to give offense it's particularly to islam and it seems just seems like asking for trouble the movement this movement is partly being driven by the diversity of western life what we've been calling minorities groups of people with very different ways of thinking she doesn't clarify what she means with that but we all hear the dog whistle are becoming a large part of our society it's especially problem with the muslim failure to integrate which makes everything incredibly touchy but it's also increasingly leading to the general calcification of the public discourse i think i can hear my daughter crying i'm just gonna wow is it i'm just gonna go and look after my lovely daughter i'll be back in a second hello i'm back she's uh settled down now i'm gonna go in with her in a little bit and 
she's not quite sleeping in her own car at the moment. I'm talking about Suki, by the way, not um my daughter. I'm talking about my daughter Suki, not Anna Shriver. But um, she's a uh, she doesn't she doesn't always settle down on her own. So it might be that I need to uh, go and sleep in there with her so she can uh, she can get down. But she's uh, okay for now. So I just want to finish off by I was it's kind of good really. Just reminds me what's important, which is loving each other and it just I think a lot of the backlash against calls for greater sensitivity around these issues uh is is it's just it's just people's it's just white people's shock at being questioned and about realizing that they're quite shit at writing people out of their immediate milieu and that that their social groups are incredibly small and groups of people with very different ways of thinking are becoming a large part of our society yeah you know what Lionel Shriver that's one point at which I don't disagree with you and that I think is why you're struggling because it creates a dialectic which is the essence of good fiction it creates a discourse and we have people challenging us and and people who and when i say us i mean us as writers and i hope that i i include everyone not people just uh storming the gates of the of the white enclave i uh, i i think it's i think it's i think all writers you know are, are going to be challenged by this i hope because you know it's it's if you really really follow intersectionality through to the end then there are you're always going to be writing unless you're writing autobiography you're always going to be writing some characters who are not in uh, are in a marginalized group that you're not part of that are in have different experiences to you you're always going to be doing that whether it's you know, you're writing a wheelchair user and you're able-bodied, for example. And you need to go and research that. You don't just, like, want to... You can't just, like, create a... Well, of course you can. Writers do it all the time. You create a reality where people in wheelchairs don't exist. Where wheelchair users don't exist. No character in your story uses a wheelchair. And then you just kind of move on, right? It's You create... People create... White only realities. People create straight only realities. People create cis only realities. People create fucking men only realities in their fiction. And you, you, you can't write well without having groups that aren't your own peer in your work. And there's no reason why you shouldn't write in the first person from a you know a background that's not your own. You just have to do the work. And accept that some people are, if you want to do that, if you're moved to it, if you feel it's important, if you feel like, I, I want to write about this, this is what, then accept that some people are, have the right to reply and to criticise you. And, you know, publishers are increasingly using sensitivity readers, which is a symptom of poor, diverse hiring within publishers. Because if publishers had truly diverse hires and weren't sort of largely upper middle class white people then you would have the in-house talent to spot that shit right 
but they don't so they have to do they have to hire people to do sen- sensitivity readings which is good but it's a band-aid we need to, publishing you need to get your fucking act together and hire diversely and, and, and in every aspect you know you have to get people from non-upper middle class backgrounds which means you have it's fuck it's going to be it's going to be hard work it's going to take a lot of time and readers you need to read diversely to support publishers when they do put out work not just by the usual suspects um but what do you so what should you do as a writer just just care about it just work hard um and write with love and write people as humans and get lots of feedback it you'll be fine you know i i don't write characters who are exactly like me and when i do i'm normally being quite sneaky about it and i think i i and i enjoy writing like that and i wouldn't want to write any other way i get a bit of a free pass because i'm writing kind of like fantasy stroke sf so people go well it doesn't it doesn't matter as much and also i think just because i've not reached the uh, level of uh, kind of cultural currency where lots of people are reading my my you know i think if i for example like won an award or something like that then loads of people who don't particularly have a relationship with my work would pick it up and it'd probably come under greater scrutiny and i'm sure i've made some mistakes also i just do you try and have more than one example of 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 like a culture in your book don't just like have one dude representing all all nigerians like just have like lots of people from lots of different cultures and don't just have don't have one woman don't have one don't have like the gay dude and then and then they're representing all because that's silly of course like you've got a finite number of characters but that's also an area where you can like there can be moral and artistic hazard right is where you just have one person representing an entire culture an entire sexuality an entire gender um and it and it's and 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 that that it probably points to a problem in diversity if 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 you if you have that right so i th- i think if we when we write with empathy we can normally there's some elements that we can make a character humane and then the other part is just factual stuff if your character is has english as a second language you're gonna have to. You're gonna. You might have to learn. I mean, I used to try and write so much. I was so, so fascinated and engaged with and passionate about 20th century Chinese history, and and actually 20th century history across the whole of Southeast Asia. Really interested in the history of the tiger economies, and really, 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 I read all the time. I read, I read all the time. I've got at home back at my parents. There's still a book case that is like three books deep and six shelves high that is mostly southeast asian 20th century history i was and particularly chinese history i was absolutely i just cared about it so much and i'd never been to china i have been now and i didn't speak the language and i you know i took uh I, i took a i took a little bit of conversational mandarin university and and got a first it was was not enough for me to write about it and all my attempts at writing fiction in that world uh, were fucking awful did it make me an asshole no i'd never published them i didn't publish them and i couldn't do it and i realized i couldn't do it and some of them like did stray into like cultural 
stereotypes and would you know and i've definitely written stuff that is offensive in the past and i repent of it i fucked up i fucked up you know and you will do that as it, to write is to fuck up and sometimes you'll fuck up in ways that aren't so okay and i know you're doing your best i trust you to do your best it's okay I don't want you to stop writing and I don't want you to stop writing in an ambitious way. I don't want you to stop writing diversely. And if you are a a white middle class straight male writer, you are allowed to write. And, and, you know, I know maybe my word doesn't matter, but you, you, you just are, it's fine. And, you know, if you, you know, if you write and it's fine for you to write for yourself as well, it's like a pleasure if you write, and enjoy it and the, if you write good stuff the world will want it it doesn't matter you just maybe have to accept that you're not going to get all the legs up and boosts and unfair advantages that you would have done 10 years ago and the world will be better for it you'll we'll get better books because there'll be a, a larger pool of people contributing the stories will be more varied it's going to be fucking cool man just hang in there anyway I think I'm, I think I'm gonna go and uh, and cuddle up with my daughter now. What I'm basically saying is, write what the fuck you want, but don't publish what the fuck you want. Think about what you're doing. It's not enough to just write with love and empathy. Sometimes you've got to actually know the facts. You've got to know the language. The whole Chinese thing, like I, 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 I knew enough to like write a Chinese character in 1935. I felt like comfortable doing that. I could. I knew a bit of. Well, it wasn't Pinion, and then it was uh, uh, Wade Giles' uh, transliteration of, of Chinese. Um, but also, he was he appears and he's in England. He he appears and he's in a context of being in Norfolk, which is where I live. So, it you know it was it it wasn't and he and he was and he was one guy. Uh, and the same goes for any of my characters. You know, they don't. I I don't make anyone a an ambassador for quote unquote their people and i think it's really fucking important that we don't expect authors you know uh, black authors gay authors trans authors female authors to be carrying the torch to be ambassadors and banner holders for only their own people because it's it's fucking shit that me as a kind of uh, white male cis writer i just get i just i'm seen as a general writer I'd never get put. I will never be asked to be on a diversity panel. I will never be able to be asked to be on a a, a panel of what's it? You know, what's it mean to? Why did you choose to make the to write this white male middle class? What do you think this this says about white maleness? This character. I went. I'll just be asked to talk about whatever I want. If I want to be a fantasy author, they'll ask me. If I want to be a poet, they they let go. Oh, talk about poetry. If I want to be a creative writing tutor and podcaster, they'll let me because uh, you know. I'm considered the default that's bullshit and it should be okay for authors who aren't white cis males and middle class to also like feel like they can be default and be on a panel about genre and be on a panel about place and not constantly be being asked to be spokespeople and to do the work of 
diplomacy. If, want to talk, if anyone who wants to talk about it, it's fine, but it shouldn't be the assumption. Anyway, I'm winding down now. I, I know you know all of this, and I know I've been all around the houses, but as I said, it was going to be a ramble. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and you'd like to support me, uh, do, your, do your bit to, 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 to reinforce the patriarchy. Um, <laughs> sorry, yeah. You, I, you can, you can um, buy my book. I'd really appreciate it. It will allow me to um, keep Suki warm and feed her. It's called The Honours. It's set in 1935 and it um, stars a 13-year-old girl called Delphine. Uh, I was 13 once. I've not been a girl yet. Um, I think you'll like it if you like me. And uh, if you enjoy the podcast, you can, of course, listen to loads of episodes. All I really ask you to do is if you could share the podcast when you enjoy it. It really helps me to grow my audience. And if you want to chuck me a few bucks to help me keep the lights on, pay for my hosting costs and my website costs, you can go there. I'll put a link on my website. My website, of course, is timclairpert.co.uk. There's a little link that says buy me a coffee. You can click on that. Chuck me a few bucks. Uh, It's deeply appreciated. Aside from that, just I hope you have a lovely week. I'm probably going to record another one of these tomorrow. I've quite enjoyed this, even though I know it's been a little bit discursive. I just I hope it's been useful to you. And uh, thanks for listening. If you stuck with me this far, uh, uh, bless you. Um, I hope you have a lovely writing week. And I'll speak to you very shortly. Bye bye.